Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we're going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. The house was smaller than the Forsters would have liked, but it was a home. What more could the family ask for, with the market constantly swelling like a wave, its ripping undercurrent threatening to yank their feet out from under them? Despite their healthy financial habits, the housing market still made purchasing a home feel less like a goal and more like a dream. Each time Duncan and Shonda Forster thought they had a healthy down payment, the market would shift, or interest rates would increase, and make the cost of purchasing a house more and more prohibitive. When a three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bathroom bungalow on a half-acre lot appeared for just over $200,000, the Forsters pounced on it. Faye, the oldest child and only daughter, had lived in rentals for all of her 16 years. She had never been able to paint her room a color of her choosing, hang artwork with anything but tiny nails, or put a lock on her bedroom door. She was excited to finally make her room her own. Faye's younger brothers, Alec, age 11, and Jordy, age 8, didn't care as much about colors, but they were excited to move nonetheless. More excited than any of the kids were their parents, Duncan and Shonda. For them, the dream of owning a home predated their marriage. It had seemed like a reasonable goal when they were engaged, then slowly became less and less real. Now, it was finally reality. Their cream-colored bungalow had charm to spare. It had a gabled roof with wide eaves painted blue to match the shutters and front door, and an adorable front porch. One of the first comments Shonda made when touring the house was how nicely a swing would fit on the porch. So one of the first things Duncan did after they moved in was install one. He put the wide swing off to one side, facing the side yard so they wouldn't have to stare at the house across the street as they swang. The evenings were still quite chilly, but he knew in a few months they would turn comfortably cool, the type of weather for cozy blankets and sweaters. And then the swing would be a lovely place to spend the evening with his wife after the kids turned in. The boys were a little frustrated with still having to share a room, but their complaints died young. The full bathroom was about the size of most people's half-bath, and the half-bath was basically a closet with a toilet in it. The kitchen was too small for a dishwasher, and to fit everything in the cupboards, Duncan and Shonda had to donate or sell much of their kitchen wares. But they were happy. Something about the house, cramped as it could feel at times, brought them all peace and joy. 
Little Geordie Forster invited his entire class over to his new house for a birthday party on January 21st. Only a handful of classmates showed up, but inside the small bungalow they felt like a crowd. Duncan played greeter, leading kids and their parents back to the living room when they arrived. There, Shonda had arranged card tables as game stations for the kids. Faye and Alec hid together in the boys' room, playing their own games, neither desiring to socialize with third graders or adults. A father who introduced himself as Dmitri Slapka brought his son a few minutes late. He pulled Duncan aside after his son joined the festivities. Hey, this is gonna sound weird, but I think somebody out there was trying to get into your house, he said quietly through a broad mask of a smile. Everything's fine, the smile said, but Dimitri's tone claimed the opposite. Duncan nodded toward the front of the house, and the two walked to the front door. Duncan unlocked it to look out, realizing Dimitri must have locked it. No one was outside. What do you look like? asked Duncan. Pretty old. I was worried I might have to turn away somebody's grandpa or something. You had to turn him away? Dimitri nodded uncomfortably. He walked up behind us like he was just going to follow us in. It was like he was trying to look like he was with us, you know? He gave me a weird vibe. I let my son go inside, then I turned to the guy and was like, you here for the party? And he didn't answer. He looked surprised I was talking to him. Where'd he go? Duncan asked. Well, I'm not totally sure. I gave him a second to explain, you know, so not to be rude to the guy, but he didn't say anything, so I shut and locked the door on him. Duncan walked onto the lawn and looked each direction for someone walking away or perhaps hiding somewhere. They had lived in the house for a few weeks now and never had a problem with a neighbor or anyone else. I can't even think of who that might have been, he told Dimitri. Thanks for turning him away. Who knows how long it would have taken for us to figure out no one knew him. You might want to keep an eye on your kids out here for a while, you know, just in case. This town doesn't really see any crime, but... Dimitri trailed off and chuckled. My wife watches these crime docs. Sometimes I overhear them. It seems like every time she starts one, they're talking about some small town where nothing ever happens and, boom, a serial killer pops up out of nowhere. Well, I hope it's nothing that serious, Duncan replied. Sorry, probably not, Dimitri said, trying to laugh away his own ominous comment. Anyway, we can get back to the kids. I just thought you should know. No, thank you. I'm glad you told me. I'll tell Shonda after everyone's gone, and we'll keep a close eye on things. The partiers soon filmed the living room windows with a thin layer of fog. The thermostat was set to 68 degrees, but the temperature read at 73. The extra heat made the adults' foreheads glisten, but they didn't mind. The kids' joyful, carefree voices spread contagious smiles throughout the house. Only one of the smiles was less than genuine. Duncan couldn't stop glancing through windows each time he passed one. He was on the lookout for any creepy old men hanging around outside. The man's specter would haunt Duncan's thoughts continuously for the rest of the party and long after the last guests left. Duncan told Shonda what Dimitri had told him later that night. She shared his concern, but gave alternative explanations, such as the man perhaps being momentarily confused. Maybe he had filed into the line of people going up to their front door during an episode of dementia. She speculated that he might have been too embarrassed to say anything to Dimitri after Dimitri woke him out of whatever state he had been in. 
The parents warned the kids to be on the lookout for any confused or strange men, giving only Faye the full story. She was frequently left alone with the boys, so it seemed prudent to give her the whole picture. By the following weekend, Duncan was passing windows without glancing outside. Almost no one ever walked by the house except their neighbor Nita, certainly no one fitting the vague description given by Dimitri. Unperturbed happiness returned to the family and filled their home once more. But the mood was soured once again on Monday night. Shonda had already settled into bed with a Gillian Flynn novel. Duncan was making his way there, excited to open a brand new Chuck Palahniuk. They could hear the boys talking in the next room over. They could hear everything in the house, and Faye had once awkwardly reminded them that she and the boys could hear everything too. Speaking of Faye, she could be heard in the kitchen, clinking through the cupboard until she found one of the smooth glasses she particularly liked. Duncan subconsciously heard her fill the glass, then there was silence as she drank. Her footsteps went into the living room, then stopped. Duncan felt his hands go cold as Faye's suddenly rapid footsteps pounded toward their room. She opened the door without knocking, a sure sign of emergency. There's somebody on the porch, Faye whispered. Shonda's book slapped shut. Who? I don't know. I didn't look. Some guy, I think? Wait, the old guy? Duncan asked. Faye whined. It's dark out there. I couldn't see. Duncan told her to stay with Shonda and sent the boys in there too. He crept to the living room, keeping quiet both to listen and maintain the element of surprise. He could hear the squeal of the porch swing's cold chains and groaning from the beams he had screwed them into. The chains often rattled in the wind, but that groaning only happened when someone was sitting in the swing. It was caused by weight drawing down, eliciting ancient strength from the wood. A gap of two or three inches separated the two living room curtains. The Forsters simply had not been able to find a pair that fit perfectly. That gap must have been how Faye saw the man she claimed was swinging outside. When Duncan entered the living room, he could see naught but darkness through that gap. As he stepped forward, a sliver of the porch became visible, faintly exhibited by shrouded moonlight. With each step, his perspective shifted six inches toward the swing. Four steps in, the rear corner of the swing seat made a brief cameo before sliding off screen again. Duncan froze. The scene repeated, the corner peaking and fading again and again with spooky precision. The swing could not have been blown by any breeze nor rocked by any motion but the steady swaying of dangling feet. Duncan forced another step. He reminded himself of the darkness in which he stood. It was his friend, his shield against the intrusive eyes of whoever had stolen his family's tranquility. Another step, another shift in the vignette. Now a person's shoulder swung into view. The back of a head lolled above the shoulder, at least partially bald. Duncan shifted his weight forward and finally received a full view of the man on the swing. The man's face was turned up. His eyes seemed to be focused upon the brackets where the chains were attached. His mouth hung open and slightly crooked, as if in wonder or disbelief. 
back and forth the grayly silhouetted man swung, never wholly visible through the sliver between the curtains. Duncan strained to puzzle together the stranger's face from the brief glimpses afforded him by the swing's slow velocity. Back and forth, in view and out, always in shadow. Shonda's ankle popped and nearly caused Duncan to fall against the window. She had approached stealthily, attempting to share her husband's view of the stranger outside. In less than a breath, Duncan stabled himself. He was sure he had not so much as brushed against the curtain, let alone the glass. He couldn't have given any indication to the man outside that he was under observation, and yet, the man had vanished. When Duncan saw the abandoned swing, he tossed the curtain aside to catch where the man went, but he was too late. The only trace of the man was the swing he left swaying in the darkness. Shadows painted the chains black, making the swing appear to hover above the floor. The beams no longer groaned. The possibility of a ghost was first floated by none other than little Jordy, who had recently developed a roaring passion for all things spooky. The parents had not intentionally let the story about the man on the swing trickle down to their youngest son, but it had found its way to him through his siblings. Jordy's expression of interest allowed the Forster parents to view the situation through a childlike lens and explore possibilities their adult minds otherwise would have prohibited. They did not shut down the ghost talk straight away. They saw no harm in it. The idea of a ghost was strangely exciting to all of them. However, Duncan and Shonda made sure to remind their children to be careful in case the man had not been a spirit. Though he had not seen the man since his first encounter, Duncan often heard the swing's chains squeal and the beams groan late at night. The first couple of times, he got out of bed to look and found the swing empty but moving as if recently abandoned. He always made sure every window and door was locked before returning to bed. The parents briefly debated involving the police, perhaps asking for someone to stake out their home and watch for the nightly trespasser. In the end, they decided only to call if they saw the man again. Having their home observed by the police seemed like a quick way to ruin the peace they all felt, despite the strange goings-on. After school one day, Faye bounded into the kitchen. Shonda was there already, filling a watering can for the indoor plants. She read excitement on her daughter's face and, before Faye burst apart, asked what was on her mind. "'You'll never believe this, Mom,' Faye said." Shonda's beliefs had already been proven more flexible than she thought, so she couldn't help but smirk as she listened to what came next. I told some kids at school about the ghost outside, or the guy we think might be a ghost. Don't worry, I've only told people I trust. Shonda cut in, and I'm sure those people told people they trust who told even more. I went to high school once too, you know. Faye rolled her eyes. Okay, yeah, maybe but nobody thinks we're crazy or anything, don't worry. None that have said it to you directly, thought Shonda. But listen, my friend Clara, remember her? She's super into all this paranormal stuff. She's got books and stuff about it. She lent me one that she thinks might help us with our ghost. Oh, really? Shonda asked playfully. But she was surprised at her own impatience while Faye fished the book out of her backpack. Perhaps all she wanted was validation. 
a reason to believe she and her family were not on the road to Crazy Town after all. Shonda expected Faye to produce some leather-bound monstrosity, probably because she had watched too many horror movies in the 80s and 90s, but Faye's book looked perfectly ordinary. Its red binding and formal font made it look like something you would find in a church library. A photo of the author dominated the back cover. Shonda thought she looked a little like Barbara Streisand. Anyhow, there wasn't anything particularly creepy about the woman. She didn't look insane. Shonda took the book from her daughter and started combing the pages right there in the kitchen. Faye let her look and went through the house watering the plants herself. When she returned to the kitchen, her mother closed the book and put it under the wing of her arm. Thank you, Shonda said. Do you mind if I hold on to this? Or do you think your friend would mind? No, that's fine, Faye answered. But if something in that book fixes what's going on, you and Dad have to buy me a car. Shonda grinned sarcastically and said, Maybe we'll get one for your friend, huh? That night, Shonda prevented Duncan from getting ready for bed. She showed him the book and opened it on the bed to a page she had marked. It contained a simple communication ritual. The text claimed the ritual to be harmless, since it did not summon, but rather opened communication with spirits who were already present. Duncan pushed the book back to her after looking over the page. Please, I don't want to do it alone, Shonda begged. The fact that you'd want to do it at all bothers me more than the ghost. Maybe this has gone too far, Duncan whispered low. Shonda argued, Wouldn't it be worth it for the chance it might keep the kids safe? Duncan replied, Haven't you seen them lately? They're happier than I've ever seen them before. And you know what? So am I. I think you are too. I don't feel like we're in any danger. That's why when you and the kids start going on about ghosts, I play along. Because it's fun, get it? Because we're bonding over something strange and exciting, but safe. Taking it to this level, though? I just don't know. I don't think whatever it is is something we need to be messing around with and trying to summon. It's not summoning. It says so right here, Shonda burst, reopening the book. Well, you know what I mean. I'm not sacrificing rats or... Oh, stop it, there's no animal sacrifice in this ritual. It's more like a prayer. But instead of God, we're praying to a dead guy? Duncan's eyes bore into hers, as if they could inject sanity into her mind. Shonda shrugged. If thinking about it that way helps you sleep at night. Duncan snorted, choking back laughter. Shonda broke her smug character as well, stifling her own cackles with the back of her hand. Their eyes met again. Then Duncan's dropped. So, we just say a few words and, what, listen? He asked tamely. Shonda reached forward and groped his fingers into her palm. Don't forget we have to hold hands, she said, pointing with her other hand to an italicized line on the page. Duncan let her lead him to the porch. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. 
They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. The air outside tasted dry and smelled of chimney smoke. It was still and quiet enough that they could have heard a whisper from a mile away. Duncan sat on the swing and encouraged his suddenly hesitant wife to fill the space next to him with a gentle smile. She looked at the windows of the surrounding houses, making sure none of their neighbors were watching, then sat. Duncan and Shonda's slippered toes rested on the boards below them, but neither pushed the swing nor rocked it. They only sat, waiting to see what might happen absent provocation. It was approximately the same time the swing usually started moving on its own. You gonna start this or what? Duncan finally asked his forcedly casual tone making him sound like a nervous adolescent. Shonda situated the book in her lap and traced its sentences with her thumb until she landed on the passage she was looking for. Her hand slipped into Duncan's gently this time, and he squeezed. We need to stay connected the whole time, she said. Our bodies will be like antennas and anchors at the same time. If you feel scared, just focus on my hand. Think about how it feels. Give it a squeeze. Okay, Duncan said. He settled in and caused the swing to rock gently. Shonda breathed in icy air, tilted her head back, then lowered her face toward the open book in her lap. To the spirit or spirits present, we greet you. We come to you with good intentions. We wish only to commune in... Shonda trailed off as the swing pulled backwards. She thought Duncan must have shifted again and caused the faint motion, but she hadn't felt him move. 
We wish only to commune in peace, she continued. My name is Shonda Forster. She nudged Duncan. I'm Duncan, he said, sounding unsure of his own name. You are welcome to appear to us or otherwise make yourself known. However, we ask that you do not touch us or follow us from this place. Are you doing that? Duncan asked, referring to the same light swinging Shonda had attributed to him. It was so dark Duncan didn't see her shake her head, only felt her hair bouncing against his shoulder. He said, Sit still for a minute. Like, don't move at all. I won't either. They sat, gripping each other's fingers, waiting for the swing to slow. But against gravity, against any physics they knew, the swing continued to rock. The chains squealed. The beams groaned. You're really not doing that? Duncan asked. Shonda ignored him. Can you tell us who you are? She asked the open air. A warmth resonated between their clasped hands. Duncan flinched and almost withdrew his hand, but Shonda gripped his fingers before they disconnected. The swing accelerated. Stop moving again, Duncan said. I'm not moving at all, replied Shonda. I think he's giving us the best answer he can. An image of the man he had seen through the curtains flashed into Duncan's mind. He pictured him standing behind them with that vacant look, mouth hung open, pushing the swing. He asked, Are you the guy who keeps coming up here at night? The husband and wife exchanged uncomfortable glances as the swing accelerated by yet another increment. Are you... No, I am not doing this, Shonda hissed. Then, more excitedly to herself, Maybe that's how this works. Why do you keep coming here? Duncan asked the spirit. Shonda said, No, it doesn't work that way. You have to ask yes or no questions. That's the only way he can answer. Duncan said, Okay. Did you try coming to our son's birthday party a few weeks ago? The swing slowed slightly, but kept moving. The couple wasn't sure exactly how to interpret this. Was it a no or a hesitant yes? Shonda asked an easier question. Did you know someone in this house before? The swing picked up speed again. She felt Duncan's warm breath as he shuddered beside her. The answer seemed undeniable this time. Shonda hopefully wondered if the system would still work without them sitting on the swing. Being pushed by an invisible spirit made her feel slightly nauseous, but she didn't want to risk losing their connection. Did you live here? Duncan asked. The swing rocked to its maximum velocity. Any more momentum and the back would have started knocking against the porch railing. So it was the previous owner they were speaking with. They didn't know much about him, could not even recall his name. All they remembered was he had lived there for a long, long time. Actually, hadn't the realtor said the previous owner built the house? Yes, she had, Duncan now felt sure he remembered. He asked of the spirit, Are you upset that we've moved in? The swing slowed dramatically. There was no jolting resistance. It felt much like riding downhill in a car with the brakes on. The implication was clear. So, you're not upset with us, Shonda said. Do you... 
Do you mean us any harm? The swing now came to a gentle but complete stop. No? So you don't want to hurt us or the kids? Duncan questioned. The swing did not move. Okay, Shonda said, sighing. Well, that's a relief, because we'd hate to have to leave. We really love this house. Your house. It's so cozy and warm. We've been so happy here, except... Except we didn't know what was going on with the swing, Duncan finished. Quickly, he leaned to Shonda and whispered, Is this really happening? Like, are we sure we're talking to him? Shonda gave him a look and a nod that said, I'll show you. She flicked a lock of her hair away from her numb lips and said, This house is full of love, isn't it? It felt like someone nudged the swing from behind. Shonda continued, It's real. I can feel it. Did you build this house for your family? Now it felt like they were given a full push. Shonda made a noise not unlike a giggle. We should be recording this, Duncan remarked. But Shonda had disappeared in thought. She realized that to ask the spirit to leave them would be to ask him to leave a place he had constructed, a home he had once built for his family. She asked, Is there any way we can both be here? I mean, I don't want to offend you in any way, but a ghost might, you know, scare the kids. Well, hold on, Duncan cut in. He hasn't bothered us so far. We just didn't know what was going on before, right? Duncan... Shonda warned, grabbing his arm with the hand that wasn't holding his. By now the swing had settled in its neutral position again. Duncan ignored his wife. The swing. Do you like it? Again, the swing was nudged into gentle movement. Well, how about we make a deal then? This can be your place. You can sit here whenever you want, and we'll leave you alone as long as you leave us alone in the rest of the house. The swing probably maintained its low velocity, but Shonda thought it might have slowed slightly. She made a quick addendum to Duncan's deal. And in return, we'll keep filling your house with love. It'll stay what you wanted it to be. It can be like... like your legacy. The swing jerked suddenly, then continued swinging dramatically back and forth, unhindered. When it finally came to rest, Duncan and Shonda felt different. It was hard to describe how... Lighter, maybe? Certainly more at ease. Their hands were still clutched together, and separating them felt wrong. Shonda suddenly remembered why. There's more on the page. Hang on. She read aloud, Thank you for your communion, spirit. We bid you farewell and remind you respectfully not to follow us. Duncan's fingers slipped away from Shonda's. He had thought the ritual was over. He did not hear Shonda's shocked gasp because when he looked up, he saw the man again. He was standing across the yard with his back turned. Wait, Duncan shouted after him. The man turned slowly, a hollow expression on his face. For a horrible moment, Duncan wondered if he had just ruined their deal. The man's blank face and wide eyes reflected moonlight into Duncan's. He looked somewhat afraid but something Duncan couldn't see stole the man's attention. He turned away suddenly. Shonda's hand snapped around Duncan's, and she added the final words of the ritual. Now go in peace. No, wait, Duncan exclaimed again. Two forms had just begun to coalesce at the edge of the property where the ghost man stood, 
Pachanda's last words caused all three shapes to fade away into nothing. They had not come even close to discernible images, but Duncan knew, somehow he knew, they had been the forms of two women, one older and one younger. He rose from the swing and helped Shonda to her feet. As they went through the front door, silently rejoicing at the warmth which greeted them inside, the swing's chains rattled and the beams above it groaned. Duncan and Shonda shared a smile and shut the door. That spring, Shonda was crouched near the sidewalk, digging holes for a new row of bushes. A neighbor approached. Nita, what a beautiful day for a walk, Shonda greeted her. Yes, and a beautiful day for planting, Nita replied cheerily. The two shared a brief conversation about the boxwood bushes Shonda had selected to line their property. Just when Shonda thought the chat was coming to a natural conclusion, Nita asked, Say, did you ever meet the man who used to live here? No, I never got the chance, Shonda replied, only realizing this was sort of a lie after she had said it. Hmm, that's a pity. He was a sweet man, even after he lost his wife and then his daughter. So sad she was only 23. He was always so gentle and kind. He built this place, you know? I do, Shonda said. She couldn't help but glance back at the swing, which was perfectly still. Anyway, I've just been thinking about him lately. You know, it's funny. I still see him sometimes. Oh, I thought he passed, Shonda said nervously. She and Duncan had since confirmed that the previous owner died in hospice shortly before they had purchased the home. Oh, yes, of course, Nita laughed. I only mean I think I see him. Just my eyes playing tricks on me, I suppose. I saw him over here all those years. Sometimes I think I see him relaxing on that swing. Ha, <laughs> isn't that strange? He didn't even have a swing there. Oh, I understand completely, Shonda replied, forcing a smile. Nita bid her good luck with the bushes and carried on with her walk. Shonda turned to the swing and noticed it gently rocking now. It could have been the breeze, she supposed. Probably was, really. But perhaps, just maybe, it wasn't. Duncan shared an interesting theory with her later on. He had still not stopped thinking about the two figures at the edge of the property. It was easy to guess they were the owner's wife and daughter, but why wouldn't they have already been with him? Duncan wondered if, once he had crossed over, the man had gone looking for his family and brought them back to their home. He might have been scoping it out to make sure it was safe for them, protecting them as he had in life. Shonda wanted badly to go outside and ask the man, or perhaps the whole family, if this was true, but Duncan reminded her about the terms of their deal. The life they lived is what filled this place with the love we're sharing now, Duncan said. Let's just let them be at peace. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. The next best way is to buy merch from the warningwoods.myshopify.com. The link is also in the description below. If you want more creepy content, 
including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at The Warning Woods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into The Warning Woods. Thank you for listening. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.